0: So, mates, welcome to your Monday. Lots happening over the weekend. Somebody is fresh off the NAACP <laughs> awards.
1: <laughs> that's right, fresh off that plane. I
0: know. We will discuss all of that. We'll also discuss the push to recall the mayor of New Orleans and the longtime comic strip that's coming to an end due to cancel culture. I want to welcome you to Fox Soul's Black Report. I'm Courtney
1: Hicks, and I'm Nicole Cortez. Plus. As Courtney mentioned, we're gonna have a recap of the NAACP Image Award winners and the museum that's honoring the work of Tyler Perry. They're the stories that impact our people. You know, we got you with our news, our
0: views, and our voice. So let's get into the top conversation for today. Do you remember Dr. Youssef Salam? He's one of the members of the Exonerated Five. He is running for city council there in New York. Uh, it's the Democratic primary that he's going to represent uh, Central Harlem in the city council. That's what he's running for. Now, you'll remember uh, at 15 years old, Salam found himself under arrest. And at the center of one of the most notorious cases in that city, Salam and four other teens. Uh, became known as the Central Park Five. After a long legal fight, uh, the five were exonerated in 2002. Salam spent seven years in prison for a crime that he did not commit. And I remember when this story for- first broke, I was a senior in high school, and this was like one of the You know, for me, it was one of the first of its kind, if you will, because um, the suspects were my age, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, you really didn't get into it until all of the the lies and the conspiracy started coming out. And then I think for my generation and for the new generation, uh, when the movie came out, it really, really opened that story uh, uh, open. It it broke it wide open, really, and you began to see some of the layers of the suffering that sometimes you just didn't think about. You I mean, you knew they were suffering. Mm-hmm. You felt, you know, if you, you were on their side, you felt that they were innocent, but the the, the, tri- the trickle-out effect of the yeah. suffering with them and the families, it was unbelievable.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and the movie uh, When They See Us by mm-hmm. Ava DuVernay, I mean, it was an incredible film that I think really brought a lot of heart. Yeah, uh, It really humanized mm-hmm. uh, the exonerated five. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, you know, it is incredible to see that after enduring that kind of trauma, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of, uh, you know, public... Uh, disappointment mm. uh, that uh that he still believes that some of his best years That's are in right. front of him, uh, and he can better spend those as a public servant. And so I think it's incredible that he is running to represent uh, the, the community, yeah. uh, many of which who stood by them mm-hmm. even after they were wrongfully convicted.
0: Yeah. And it's a, it's a full circle moment. I mean, just think about you know putting yourself in power or, or folks voting you in power mm-hmm. and posturing you to address a lot of those policies and laws that uh, failed you. Yeah, you know, some time ago. Yeah. I, I think that to be quite interesting.
1: That's right. Well, mm-hmm. speaking of folks in power, it's a plan that's been six months in the making. Hmm. A group is looking to recall New Orleans Mayor Latoya Cantrell. The group is called NOLA. TOYA, A PUN, USING THE MAYOR'S NAME, AND THE GROUP SAYS that THEY WANT TO HAVE THE RECALL ELECTION AS SOON AS POSSIBLE BECAUSE THEY SAY OVER THE PAST YEAR, CONTRELL HAS BEEN IN THE MIDDLE OF TOO MANY HIGH-PROFILE SCANDALS. NOW, THE NEW ORLEANS PARISH REGISTRAR OF VOTERS HAS 20 DAYS TO VERIFY THE SIGNATURES. You know, Courtney, Mm. we have certainly seen recall efforts afoot across the country, particularly on the state and local level. You might remember uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom Mm. uh, beat uh, Larry Elder, a black conservative, who was within striking distance of winning that recall election. Uh, There are a lot of people that misuse this process uh, to... Go after their political opponents. Uh, There are a lot of people that suspect that Mayor Contrell in New Orleans is no different. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, you know, she is a a fighter, and uh, she and her team intend to fight back. Well,
0: I need Sister Latoya to continue to gather her team and make some more noise because those who oppose her are, are making a lot of noise and causing a lot of riffraff. Going back to just the Mardi Gras and and all of the countless number of floats that that you know were unflattering to the mayor that. You know, we're very compromising. The sarcasm, the cynicism. So, it seems like you know maybe the community also um, is is behind uh, the, the folks who are not supporting her. Um, i just need her to rev it up and 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 save herself. I mean, it is always hot and heavy in New Orleans, and uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see how this thing um, plays out. But I, I'm just hearing more of her opponents okay. than I am hearing from her, and so yeah. that's that's a little concern yeah.
1: for me. And recall elections should be reserved, mm-hmm. you know, for really agree. Cases And mm-hmm. from what I've read, you know, there are folks that maybe politically disagree with her mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe disagree with public statements she's made or uh, things that she's done publicly. But, you know, there hasn't really been a smoking gun that rises to the occasion of, oh, my gosh, you got to re- recall this mayor. Um, that's but what they, elections they are, are le- for. They are
0: letting her have it, though. They yeah. are letting her have it. Yeah. All right. There's, uh, speaking of mayors, there's a, a one day to go until Chicago's mayoral election. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have a look at the candidates' uh, last minute efforts to take. Mayor Lightfoot seat. So there's eight candidates in the running, including Sophia King, who will be stopping by several neighborhood restaurants on the south side for a final campaign push. Now the Council of Islamic Organizations of Greater Chicago is inviting Paul Vall- Vallis uh, and Congressman Chewy Garcia to a meet and greet and mayor lori lightfoot will be in ukrainian village to attend the one-year anniversary of the russian war against ukraine rally and remembrance now early voting at polling locations and uh, vote by mail ballots now tops more than Two hundred and eleven thousand. Wow. The number is higher than 2019, where nearly one hundred and twenty-nine thousand early ballots had been cast at this point. And you know, uh, like uh, Mayor Latoya down in New Orleans, Sister Lightfoot has also, <laughs> you know, <laughs> she has been catching it. Um, you know, there are a lot of folks in Chicago who are not happy uh, with the way that she's positioned herself uh, with a lot of a lot of issues and a lot of under undertakings, if you will, uh, in Chicago. You know, police accountability. Um, you know the violence that's happening uh, in and around Chicago. I believe this is going to be a-, a tough race. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot is a fighter, but uh, it's 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 an uphill battle this go around.
1: Yeah, and it's also important to remind people. You know. Chicago has had a single mayor for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Talking about Mayor Daley, mm-hmm. right, and so it's still only relatively recent, historically speaking. Between Rahm Emanuel and Lori Lightfoot, you know, they're the two newest mayors, and very
0: different, and very mayors.
1: different, uh, and very st- very different st- styles right. from Mayor Daley. Right, um, but also very polarizing figures, right, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. I think the people of Chicago are, are trying to find a mayor that's more Mayor Daley like, um, mm. and. And, uh, you know, Mayor Lightfoot... You know, is uh, doesn't give that affect in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's going to be interesting to see. You know, where folks land. You might remember that Mayor Lightfoot made history as the first, uh, you know, black and openly gay yeah. mayor of she Chicago. Did. And folks,
0: folks are are were and are still excited about yeah. that, and, and and what that means. Um, you know, that daily history. I lived in Chicago a very long time. That daily history is thick. Yeah. and it's a bit checkered, and I'm hoping Chicago wouldn't want to go back to that kind of energy. Um, but yet again, you know, if they're not satisfied with uh, Mayor Lightfoot's um, performance and her stance and her position on things, then it may be time to get some new blood in there. And, and she has some tough challenges to go around.
1: Well, we shall see. Yes, indeed. Moving along, Jared Hobbs, the man who was seen in a viral video hmm. being beat by officers, will now have all charges against him dropped. Hmm. Hobbs' attorneys announced Thursday that the Glenn County D.A. has dropped all charges against their client and that they'd reached a significant settlement agreement. As for Hobbs, his lawyer anticipates the new developments will help expedite his release from federal custody and probation to a halfway house. Hmm. Yeah, you know, that was uh, some pretty startling footage that we saw uh, that, according to uh, Hobbs's attorneys, it, it, it amounted to sort of gang violence uh, by folks with badges within the prison walls. It was really, really egregious. And, you know, sometimes I wonder, Courtney, you know, we, we, we report on settlement after settlement after mm-hmm. settlement. Mm-hmm. What, hap- what would happen if we didn't settle? You know, if we actually took this case, you know, to court in an effort to to push for more significant systemic change within the prison walls?
0: I don't know, as far as our conditioning is concerned, I think that, that we've just, you know, come to the conclusion that the, the money either solves it or helps it, um, you know, for us and our push and our, our community, it, it's definitely, you know, somewhat of a band-aid. It, it does, I want to assume, bring some relief you know, to families to suffer in all kinds of different ways I mean you suffer from the loss but you're also you know suffering in all kinds of different ways um, you know but does that money you know um, weigh in on that life that's been lost? And or the way the life was lost, I'm not so sure. I've been seeing, you know, plenty of um, videos that have gone viral o- over the weekend that are dealing with police and police brutality, and they've been white on white, mm-hmm. you know, black on black. You know, we're just coming off of Tyrese Nichols, and so I'm really beginning to believe—not to dismiss anything, mm-hmm. you know—the the racial component. But I'm really beginning to to be fully convinced that this is a blue thing, and uh, I don't know where this training is going left. <laughs> um, uh, where when these you know police officers get out in these streets it's as you say judge jury and and, and in some cases An unfortunate, um, yeah. and it, it is really I don't know if it's always been bad but yet social media and body cam policies and just eyewitness um, uh, videos are bringing this more to light it's already been this way but it appears just to be getting worse you
1: know, it, it's definitely very layered yeah uh, definitely very layered but you know it really makes me wonder at what point do folks stand up and say say, you know what, according to my calculator, we have spent X millions of dollars on police settlements over X period, over Y period of time. You know, when is enough enough? But you
0: would think, you would think all the payout, something would click and say, hey, let's take a look, you know, let's, let's backtrack and take a look you know, at what's happening that that uh, that continues to m- make us come to this particular yeah. uh, conclusion, this contic- particular particular uh, result. So, so I don't know. I think because money seems to be such the answer or the band-aid, and obviously these um, cities and municipalities and states, you know, aren't minding, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, paying this money out. Um, I think you're right. I think we're going to have to take a step back into the process before we even get to that point to say, hey, you know, what's the what's yeah. the what's the wash
1: here? And That's why that's why reforming qualified immunity would Mm -hmm. be a game changer Mm -hmm. because it would shift the burden from cities to individual officers. And that's why they're fighting so hard against that. Mm So, you know. The fight must continue.
0: And so does the debate and the conversation. So let's go to uh, the president of Loudoun County's NAACP uh, in Virginia. He's blasting Governor Glenn Youngkin after he ordered Virginia's education secretary to review the college board's AP uh, African American studies course. It comes as the governor took part in a statewide school discussion about freedom and slavery. The president of Loudoun County NAACP believes the course review is troubling, especially after Youngkin sparked debates in the county over critical race theory during his campaign. Very interesting here, and I know this is again. You know, I like to toss to you because this is your jam mm-hmm. when it comes to um, AP. And i have just consistently said, as did Ben Crump, uh, and 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 we'll get to his his NAACP NAACP acceptance speech a little later. But American Black History is American history. You know, point blank period. I don't I don't know what else needs to be. I mean, sure the fight continues, but I don't know what what else needs to be said after that.
1: Well, I mean, the war against Black History Black history is fundamentally Mm -hmm. about reversing Mm -hmm. our social and economic progress. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we see this in state after state. We've seen this with Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida. We see this in South Carolina. We see this in in too many Republican-controlled states across the country right now. You know, I was just thinking earlier when I read this story, you know, my husband's home church, Bank Street Baptist Church Mm -hmm. in Norfolk, Virginia, has been around since just after the Civil War. Hmm. And and I thought, wow, what a shame if the history uh, in terms of the role that that church and that congregation has played mm-hmm. in delivering freedom to black people in that area and across mm-hmm. Virginia. Mm-hmm. You know, shame on us if we allow for you know a partisan governor uh, or to allow outside forces to erase that history. To your point, at the NAACP Image Awards, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the show, Ben Crump, Oh, he laid you it know, out. made that point very clear mm-hmm. for folks that haven't watched the entire acceptance speech of Ben Crump, uh, you know, he speaks directly to this and, you know, the high stakes, the high stakes for our communities uh, in terms of protecting black life, black liberty, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, black humanity.
0: Yeah. And I know you just can't throw up your hands. But it is just an exhausting effort to to continue to, to have to prove your worth and continue to, to and to convince, maybe, I don't know if that's the word, you know, others, that our history uh, is important, especially when you just, you can lay it out and see that if it had not been for us, there would not be a lot of things that we continue to uh, enjoy and experience As Americans and uh, it just it just behooves me that that this is something that we have to constantly constantly you know prove if you will
1: black lives matter black girl magic black boy joy uh, these are all concepts that uh, the right is afraid of and they are trying desperately to erase our history uh, to take away from the black empowerment but we're not gonna let them happen Not we're not gonna let them succeed particularly right here on foxhole's black report now moving along the former university of kentucky student who racially berated and attacked a black student has been indicted on charges this week a grand jury agreed that sophia rowing will have to face charges including assault assaulting an officer public intoxication and disorderly conduct She's expected to appear in court again in March. Meanwhile, uh, Rousing's mother has launched a petition to give her a second chance <laughs> at finishing her education. <laughs> a second chance. A no,
0: second chance. Uh-huh. I mean, we've asked for second, third, fourth, fifth. Listen, we, um,
1: we, we just want to be in, in the history books. We just want our history included.
0: Yeah. We and, just and,
1: want to go to school and feel safe.
0: Yeah we just want to walk down the street and get to where we're going or, or, or hop in a car and, and and get from point A to point to point B. Mm-hmm. Listen, uh, the girl was flat out wrong. You know, I don't want to hear all the excuses. Um, I think the university have, has moved to her, expel her, so I think it is, you know, I don't know if it's a civil or, or still a criminal uh, matter, but whatever the case may be, the reason why a lot of this stuff keeps happening is because there are no consequences. You know, the, the actions of these folks don't yield the type of consequences where at least they'd learn the lesson, and then those you know watching or witnessing would say, you know what? Let me let me self-correct. Let me check myself. Let me mm-hmm. make sure you know I'm on code, so something like this doesn't happen to me. And it's it's just such a a blatant disregard for humanity. I don't care you know the color of the skin. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't come at people like that. And I think that young lady did a. <laughs> Listen, I did a very good job with handling the situation the way she did because I know a lot of people, even in that setting, that young lady, white young lady, would have caught some hands and a few other things, and, you know, family would have rolled down, you know, and, and I hate to take it there, but, you know, listen, the young lady uh, handled it very well. Let's, um, let's give her justice by making sure this other young lady um, is properly dealt with.
1: I think you're right. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, the Bay Area cartoonist who created the Dilbert comic strip, you remember that? is now under fire for unleashing what his critics are calling a racist rant. Scott Adams described black people as, quote, a hate group during an interview on YouTube, uh, on a show on YouTube. This happened last week. Now, several newspaper publishers across the country have denounced his comments as racist, hateful and discriminatory. They say they will no longer provide a platform for his work. And I remember Dilbert, it's been around for a while, right? I remember it back more so when it was, when a lot of newspapers were in print. Mm -hmm. I know when a lot of them flipped digital, I didn't catch it as much. I was never really a comic person, but it's iconic in the sense that once I saw it, I knew exactly Mm -hmm. what it was. And it's not like Scott Adams hasn't been on edge before with some of his comments, so I'm wondering now, why um it's it's such a big deal now is because as a society we're a lot more sensitive with what he's putting out there you know as black folks as a culture are we more plugged and dialed in to what folks are out here saying and or alluding about us in our culture
1: yeah i don't think it's just a matter of being sensitive i just think we're more conscious the consciousness mm-hmm. has risen uh, in this country and around the world, and people have awakened mm-hmm. uh, to the racial injustice, to the uh, injustice that that shows up as LGBTQ injustice mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. gender injustice mm-hmm. and in all, all different areas of injustice. And so, I think people are reading these comic strips; they're reading and consuming content more critically. Yeah. I think it's fundamentally a good thing. It's a good thing. But for Homeboy to be to call Black folks a hate group. You know, you just gonna have to be careful with with what comes out your mouth or what you write about. How is there an uptick in hate impacting black folks Uh, across this country, you know, and now black folks are the hate group. I don't understand how that math happens. That math ain't maffin for me. Well, that's why he lost that job. Mm -hmm. Well, (laughs) still ahead on Foxhole's Black Report, the NAACP Mm. is stepping up when it comes to student loans.
0: Oh, yes. We'll tell you what they're doing to get our loans canceled. We'll be right back. You're watching Foxhole's Black Report.
1: Welcome back to Foxhole's Black Report. This week, some 20 groups led by the NAACP will rally in front of the Supreme Court to advocate for the cancellation Hmm. of student debt, an issue that has increased in debate since President Joe Biden took office. Yeah,
0: the NAACP youth and college director Wisdom Cole predicts quote, generations of people will participate in Tuesday's rally. While recognizing the fight to cancel student debt uh, has been a slog, Cole says they believe Biden's plan is legal, it is supported, it is backed up. That's, those are, that's his quote. Now, in August, President Biden proposed a plan to forgive up to $20,000 in federal loan debt for low-income students who had received Pell Grants and $10,000 dollars in debt relief for other borrowers. This whole process is so confusing because I'm seeing, you know, people post their letters of forgiveness, you know, and then on the other hand, you've got people who, you know, can't get in touch with folks who said they might be in consideration or where their application may lie, what, what the status is. So it's been so cloudy and confusing. But I say, hey, you know, put it on the reparations list and forgive forgive black
1: folks and let's keep it moving. You can check, you know, check one, I owe you off. And cl- <laughs> but cloudy and confusion on purpose. There's a lot of, you know, Republican attorney generals that have sued to hold up this process yeah. and to make it confusing, right? And so, you know, uh, this is this this uh, case is being seen before the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Uh although folks that have been following closely are not optimistic. Mm-hmm. Um although I did see a story that um, uh it wasn't until a few terms into his tenure on the US Supreme Court that uh Justice Clarence Thomas paid off his student loans. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, you know, if if uh, you know, Justice Thomas, you know, may be uh Uh, a part of a plot twist as we see this case uh, heard before the U.S. Supreme Court.
0: Well, don't hold your breath on that, trying to figure that thing out. Black married couples in general pay more in tax costs than white married couples. That's according to a new report by the Urban Brookings Tax Policy Center. Now, research found that black couples were more likely to face marriage penalties and less likely to receive marriage bonuses than white couples. Uh, When tax filers in the U.S. get married, they have a marriage bonus that decreases the tax bill because a couple files jointly uh, and the incomes are different enough. Researchers also found penalties were larger and more prevalent for black couples than. white couples for households with an adjusted gross income between 50 and 100 thousand dollars (laughs) so everywhere you turn you got to face a stat you got to face some sort of backlash something that's trying to hold you back and you're trying to do right by you know making sure your taxes are not only filed but filed properly and then you have these like hidden Mm -hmm. hidden barriers it just makes you want to go ballistic a little bit it feels like a scavenger
1: hunt it It feels like a scavenger Hunt, well, the gold you know, get, is always to moving. To get, get some tax relief, and that's why there's a lot of people Gosh. that say that the the tax system is not fair. It should be reformed, mm-hmm. but you know, reform to uh, to to do what to and suit to, who and
0: to benefit who, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah, oh. yeah. I mean, you know, it is it is uh, not a lot of people's favorite season of the year, you know, because they feel like no matter what you do, you know, you're going to end up, you know, owing money that you didn't thought, think you owed. Mm. Just saying. Well, according to data just released by the Anti-Defamation League, mass shootings in the United States accounted for most extremism-related fatalities last year in the country, with over 80 percent of those murders committed by white supremacists. That's right. The report showed that two mass shootings, one in May in Buffalo, New York, where an avowed white supremacist fatally shot 10 black people, and another in November in Colorado Springs, where five people were killed in an LGBTQ nightclub accounted for most of the extremist related murders of 2022. Now, President Biden has labeled white supremacy as poison and called on Americans to reject it. In December, he established an interagency group to coordinate efforts to counter anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, and related forms of bias and discrimination. What do
0: you always say? Water is wet.
1: <laughs> water is so wet. So right? this we've been talking about white supremacist violence since 1619.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was, you know, looking at the story, looking at some of the sets, and like water is like this is really like no surprise. So, okay, this is understood, this is established. So what are we going to do to continue to address it, to 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 move along these policies? And laws that will discourage and and properly punish those who just violate, you know, and continue yeah. to, to to continue to push their agendas forward that are that are harmful to folks' existence. We're talking black folks right now, in particular.
1: And I want to double click on holding folks accountable. You know, just following some of the uh, the January 6th prosecutions. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I feel like. Folks have really not been prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. I feel like Mm -hmm. there are folks that are under the jail, Mm. you know, for infractions, you know, that pale in comparison, Mm -hmm. you know, to an insurrection, right, to, uh, uh, you know, really trying to disrupt the election process for the United States. like
0: sending your kid um, to a district for better schooling versus somebody who goes and shoots up a church. Right. She's in prison for five to seven years and they get a hamburger, a cheeseburger as they're being apprehended. You yeah. According to a newly updated classified intelligence report, the U.S. Department of Energy has assessed that the COVID-19 pandemic most likely came from a laboratory leak in China. Now, the intelligence report states that the Department of Energy had, quote, low confidence the COVID-19 virus accidentally escaped from a lab in Wuhan. Now, the latest assessment further adds to the divide over whether the COVID-19 pandemic began in China in 2019 as a result of a lab leak or whether it emerged naturally. Now, various intelligence agencies have been split on the matter for some years now. In 2021, the intelligence community declassified a report that showed four agencies had assessed with low confidence that the virus likely jumped from animals to humans naturally in the wild, while one assessed with moderate confidence that this pandemic was the result of a laboratory accident. So, Nicordalee, you've got folks from the same area of government saying, maybe, maybe not, So, I mean, just think about how that adds to the confusion of folks like us who have done what we needed to do to, you know, get on the other side of this pandemic, even though we know COVID is still around, still rampant, still causing havoc. But to those who we trust to figure things out, Mm -hmm. to be at odds as to how this thing got out, I don't know how much it matters now because we still have to deal with it, but that's a little scary.
1: Yeah, but right now we're seeing seeing folks say that they have a low confidence level, you know, that, that this thing, you know, Emerge from a laboratory in China. We certainly heard the previous Mm -hmm. administration, you know, sort of advanced a narrative that suggested, Mm -hmm. you know, that, you know, this was the China virus, Mm -hmm. which uh, really helped to spawn a lot of anti Asian hate uh, across the country. And so, you know, I think this is this administration's effort uh, to sort of correct the record. Yeah,
0: but then you got the office down the hallway saying, oh, we think there's a moderate chance. So, you know, they're, they're sending out some mixed signals there. All right, coming up, it's it's an initiative to tap into 10 cities to unlock true power.
1: That's right. We'll introduce you to the community leader and pastor who's helping make change across the nation. You're watching Fox News Black Report. We'll be right back. Hey, soulmates, well, Dr. Bill Winston Ministries has started a 10-city campaign Mm -hmm. to bring hope to the hopeless, Mm -hmm. and they're calling it Operation 10 City Campaign. The two-day mega-event partners with faith leaders in the Economic Development Corporation to promote wealth creation and economic empowerment in black and brown communities. Yeah, Lord knows we need some hope, right? Mm -hmm. Last year,
0: Dr. Winston took his campaign to St. Louis, right here in Detroit, and to Cleveland. This weekend, the tour made a stop in Los Angeles. Here to discuss the campaign is David Winston. He is the pastor of Go Har for Christ Youth Ministry at Living Word Christian Center and the director of Bill Winston Ministries. He is the son of Dr. Bill Winston, and he is uh, here to share some information about Operation 10 City and that big campaign. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. We appreciate you.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us about the the Operation Ten City campaign? Tell us what inspired it and, you know, what are you all aiming to to, uh, accomplish with this uh, Herculean effort?
2: (laughs) Well, we're trying to accomplish closing the wealth gap. Uh, We see that there are so many economic disparities and hardships that people are suffering right now, and uh, they're having real challenges. Our communities are having challenges. I mean, crime and, and economic hardship, uh, and what we want to do is we want to come as the church and put a hand in. You know, a lot of people are used to the church asking for a handout, but we believe that we can put a hand in to help stir up economic uh, revival, so to speak, in some of our country or com- uh, communities and some of our neighborhoods. And we believe that when we give people opportunities and help people, People uh, get connected with opportunities that they are able to do better. We'll see our communities do better, and we'll be able to trend in the right direction.
0: Yeah. So, Pastor Winston, when when people do uh, attend uh, one of these uh, campaigns, rallies, you know, um, what is the takeaway? You know, they, they, they make plans. You know, they they you know, you know, take a, they get into their calendars, change their calendars up to come and to come and be a part of of your campaign. What is the takeaway?
2: The the takeaway is that you could either do one of two things as we're experiencing these challenging times. You could either complain and remain where you are, or you can get empowered to be able to change your situation and possibly help others out of their situation. And so the main goal for our whole campaign is empowerment. We believe in helping the next uh, generation of leaders and empower the next generation of entrepreneurs to be able to spur economic revival.
1: And, and, and what are the other six cities that you plan to visit? And talk to us a little bit about how are you customizing your engagement in these communities? Yes, there are issues that transcend, I'm sure, many of the cities that you're visiting. But there are some, uh, some issues that are very unique uh, in the cities that you're visiting as well, no? Absolutely. Um,
2: we plan to visit Philadelphia next. Uh, we have Miami on the list as well as Houston and uh, Washington, D.C., and some other eastern cities. And um, we know that the issues facing each of these cities is unique, and there might be some uh, unique things that we have to take what we have and adapt for that uniqueness. But there's a lot of commonalities. A lot of our major metropolitan cities are all having some of those same issues, which we believe that we can help to solve, um, that we're not the solution in and of itself. But maybe if we could just start the momentum going in the right way, We believe that we can solve some of these issues. And so when we go to the different cities, we do adapt. Uh, We actually, uh, just here in L.A., I just returned from L.A. yesterday and we had our latest stop. And what we did is we actually partnered with a couple different high schools and middle schools in the L.A. area. And we had an event called Youthpreneur, which was teaching young people how to be entrepreneurs. Because studies show that 72 percent of high school students who go to public high school want to be entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs. They want to own their own business. And so, we want to encourage them and equip them with the tools necessary so they can do so, so they can do better for their families, and they can do better in their communities.
0: And, and speaking of youth pastor, you, you grew up as a PK, and we <laughs> and we know that, that that can be a very high-pressure environment, especially, you know, taking a look at your dad and this living legacy. So, as a, as a preacher's kid, um, and, and working with uh, Gen X uh, on your campaign how have you able to pull from that experience maybe to better relate and to, to bring different kind of strategies to help you to connect and and inspire with with this new generation because they, they do and, and think about things very differently <laughs> yes
2: yes and and because you know my generation uh, you know the internet was invented you know during my upbringing and so I remember being young and uh, America online was a thing and mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and so being raised in that generation, I've seen the evolution of the internet, the evolution and the uh, really the birth of social media and digital media. And our generation, and even the millennials under me, we have such an opportunity because the world is now closer than ever before. And because of social media, because of digital media, we can get out messages like never before. And I believe that we can really use that to our benefit. If we if we make a decision to get out the right messages and spread the right message, not messages of of hate or messages of of bigotry or prejudice, but messages of love, of hope, of empowerment, and having events like this where we can teach our young people how to be able to use their influence, because all of us have influence, but if we can teach them how to use their influence the right way, I believe that they can reverberate within culture and uh, set a trend going toward the right direction.
1: Before we let you go in about a minute, can you tell us about your book, Authentic? Mm, Uh, You know, we we, we hear that the streets are buzzing about it (laughs) uh, and we wanna hear from the source. And so tell us about the book.
2: Well, the book is called Authentic, The Confidence to Be Yourself, The Courage to Release Your Greatness. And uh, I think that's a great segue question because in looking back at the second, uh, the last question, You know, this book is written out of my own journey, my own story of being a pastor's kid and and walking and living in my father's shadow and wondering if I could measure up to do some of the great things that he's done and feeling a level of intimidation, right? Uh, And that's not unlike any of us. Not everybody's a pastor's kid, but I think all of us have felt a level of intimidation when we're faced with our dreams or there's something in our heart that we want to accomplish, but we question, are we the right person to accomplish the dream that is put in our heart. And this book was born out of that journey that I help people understand that they are perfectly equipped to accomplish the purpose that they're put on this earth to do. And so they don't have to become someone else. They just have to be themselves and they'll find that purpose will find them.
0: Oh, Pastor, thanks so much for joining us today. You are now an a, official soul maid, and we're just going to, you know, keep an eye out on how you continue to, you know, carve out your own path. You're giving me more for, first lady today than then your dad's look because i watched it. I followed your family for years. So you look more like mom today. If, if that helps yeah. just a little bit. I know there are huge uh, shoes to fill. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll definitely have you back. Travel safe and we appreciate you. Thank you. The Simptons are celebrating a very special Black History Month episode this Sunday where character Carl Carlson finds out some interesting things about his family roots. Fox's Ashley Devorkin
3: has the story. I'm new to all this. New to being black? Yes. I I mean, no. In honor of Black History Month, The Simpsons explore the racial identity of one of its long-running characters in the all-new episode, Carl Carlson Rides Again. We do honor Carl's legacy on the show, and we did have an earlier episode where we found out that Carl was adopted and raised in Iceland. That was a natural way into that identity story like a lot of people who are adopted are curious about their roots. You think I could pull off The Denzel? In dealing with Carl's roots, you're also dealing with racial issues that come up. So I think there is a probably more direct conversation about race in this episode than we've had on The Simpsons and there's different ways it comes up with his friends or in dating. Carl is inspired to look deeply into his ancestral history when he becomes smitten with a beautiful black woman who has strong ties to her heritage. His search leads to the discovery of a mysterious rodeo belt buckle that has ties to his identity.
0: I finally know who I am.
3: He discovers that he has some roots in Black cowboy history, which is one of the undertold stories of Black history, which is that one in four cowboys were Black.
4: Folks don't always see us as cowboys.
3: I liked sort of enriching Carl's history with it because the cowboy is such an American icon. And the fact that it's sort of like seen as a, a white icon, but it's actually like a big part of our history that it's much more complicated than that. Writer and producer Lonnie Steele Sostand personally connected to the character and themes in the episode. I'm mixed race. My father's black and my mom's Jewish. And uh, so themes about like racial ambiguity or, or like not fitting in all that stuff is my briar patch. I guess I've lived with these these things my whole life. I'm a black cowboy. In Hollywood, Ashley Devorkin, Fox News.
1: We continue celebrating our community on Fox O's Black Report. Now time for what happened today in Black history. Today, in the year 1869, Congress adopted the 15th Constitutional Amendment, making it illegal for the U.S. or any single government to deny or abridge the right to vote on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude.
0: And moving along here on this day in 1988, figure skater Debbie Thomas, I remember her in that cute smile and that great little cute pixie mm-hmm. hair, becomes the first african-american to win a medal she won the bronze
1: medal at the winter olympic games and today r&b singer bobby valentino known what? for his hits like blackberry molasses <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that he turns oh. 44 <laughs>
0: <laughs> and chilly now i remember i remember this uh, from the grammy winning chart topping group tlc is turning Fifty-two today. We are just getting. It's getting. That's your sister. That's right. It's your twin sister. That's right. Twin. (laughs) Twin year sister chronologically. (laughs) It's just getting greater later for us generation Xers. Uh, Those are Black History moments for today. And still ahead, we have the rundown on the NAACP Image Awards, the amazing awards and the winners at the uh, and the top moments of that particular night,
1: sir. That's right. Plus one show that's making headlines within the community, the godfather of Harlem. More when we come back. You're watching Foxhole's Black Report. Welcome back to Foxhole's Black Report, where we share our news, our views, and our voice. So let's get into the star-studded night, the
0: 54th NAACP Image Awards. It was so well done. That celebrated the achievements of black artists and activists over the weekend. The queen, Angela Bassett, took home the prestigious Entertainer of the Year Award. The event also honored, oh my gosh, this man's amazing, Benjamin Crump with the Social Justice Impact Award for his tireless work seeking justice for victims of police brutality.
1: That's right. And Gabrielle Union Wade and Dwayne Wade were recognized for utilizing their platforms to advance social justice and raise awareness of the inequalities that exist in our country and community with the prestigious President's Award. Yeah,
0: Brittany Griner also received a standing ovation, her and her wife there, during a surprise appearance. And Nico Anand, Detroit, won outstanding actor in a drama series for his role in Pea Valley. We want to congratulate all of the winners. Yeah. And you partook in some of the festivities for the NAACP I did, I
1: did. I'm fresh off the plane. I just flew in this morning. It was an incredible weekend. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ben Crump's speech mm. was a barn burner. It, mm. was, it was really amazing. Mm. He really met the moment. He had everyone on their feet. Yeah. He was saying all the quiet parts out loud. So many issues that we report on day in and day out right here on Fox Hill's Black Report, mm-hmm. you know, from, you know, black AP, uh, U.S. history mm-hmm. uh, under attack, uh, just black history under, uh, under attack, black books yeah. and black authors under attack. You know, he really went in and laid out, you know, what's at stake for our community, but more importantly he encouraged us to tap into that resilience yeah, yeah. you know that that black excellence in the room and uh, it was it was clear that that black excellence um, uh, would be playing out uh, after everybody left the room. Yeah, it was
0: it was a big moment. And, you know, a, on a little lighter note, you yeah. had Angela Bassett, you had Viola Davis yeah. up for the same award. Yeah. Both of their bodies of work are amazing. I have, you know, folks who felt like Viola Davis should have edged Miss Bassett out. I love, we just had Lonnie on last week, and Lonnie was saying there's enough room for everybody. Yeah. But with Hollywood being so competitive, you know, there's going to be a winner, and then there's going to be folks who aren't going to win. But I just love how the grace that, that they extended yeah. to one another, you know, from a war to a war, because a lot of them share the same categories, the same nominations. So, yeah, it was good. It was yeah. good.
1: Yeah, well, we have a very special guest with us today, someone whose journey from a troubled youth to a successful producer and mm-hmm. actor has inspired many. Joining us is Marquand Smith, the visionary and executive producer and actor of the critically acclaimed show Godfather of Harlem. Welcome to Fox
4: News Black Report. Thank you, brother. Thank you for having me. Hey, how are you guys we, doing today? We are
0: fantastic. Thanks so much for taking some time out to join us. So, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're coming into like 20 years in this industry, which is a feat because we, we just know some of the pitfalls, ups and downs. So let's let's zone in, zoom in on uh, the process of bringing um, the Godfather of Harlem to life, and and what viewers can expect for the fourth season. Congrats on that. That's that's an accomplishment in and of itself.
4: Well, it started off in uh, 2000. Um, I used to go to this. uh, uh, It was a community called Lennox Terrace in Harlem, and if everybody, your audience would know Lennox Terrace because a lot of politicians, actors, uh, musicians lived in this community. And I used to go every Sunday and have conversations with my godmother. Mm -hmm. Her name is Margaret Johnson. And if you watching Godfather Harlem, Margaret is portrayed by Demi Singleton. She played Serena Williams and King Richard. And Margaret used to tell me these wonderful stories about Harlem, how she used to walk out of a tenement building and smell fresh laundry hanging out of a window, or walk Mm. past 125th Street, look up, she'll see James Brown's name on the marquee, or walk past Sugar Ray Robinson's barbershop, she may see his pink Cadillac, look inside, may see Nat King Cole waiting to get a haircut, or even Sam Cooke's voice coming out of a transistor radio. These magical moments, she used to tell me every Sunday, she wanted to get the real story of who her grandfather was, whose name was Ellsworth Raymond Johnson. And he was from Charleston, South Carolina. And I made her a promise almost 18 years ago that I would go out there and uh, accomplish that for her.
1: Nice. Uh, uh, just Friday, we had Lonnie Love uh, on the show, and she was talking about how this industry can be really challenging. You know, it, this industry is not for the faint of heart. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell us, what inspired you to pursue a career in the entertainment industry, to have the kind of longevity that you've had in this industry, the kind of longevity you've had with this show was no easy feat. Uh, tell us about your journey here.
4: Well, it started off, you know, I have to really give a shout out to my older brother, Uh, Father MC, he started off in the music industry, and he was able to take me on the road and showed me that uh, community was real in every culture, whether I was in Detroit, Chicago, um, Hawaii, California, DC. You know, growing up where I grew up at, I lived in a little inlet called Far Rockaway. Far Rockaway, Queens, there wasn't too much opportunity for um, young African-American males or females. So I started getting into theater and movies by just locking myself in a room and watching movies, just drowning out all the white noise that was happening outside, gunshots, sirens, et cetera. And I started my love for movies from Raging Bull to uh, Once Upon a Time in America with Sergio Leone, to Rebel Without a Cause. These uh, platforms allow me to be play make believe and into a world that I just really wanted to know more about knowing directors, producers and things of that sort. So that was my way out of staying out of trouble.
0: Yeah, talk a little bit more about some of the challenges you faced during, you know, this journey to becoming a, an EP, uh, a producer and and an actor.
4: <laughs> Yo, I'm glad you I'm glad you asked me that question. Um, you know, Godfather Harlem is definitely a definitely a labor of love, It was a tribe behind me, you know, uh, shout out to uh, Forrest Whitaker and mm-hmm. Jim Atchison and, and Nina Yang Bon Jovi and uh Pat Moran, Tracy Underwood, I-, I could keep going on, Chris Brincado, Paul Eckstein. You know, uh, we got actually turned down by three networks because they didn't believe in our vision. They didn't see the vision. And it was one individual by the name of Michael Wright, who used to work at uh, Amblin Entertainment, which is Steven Spielberg's company. And he came over to Epics looking for a, a new show. And as the president, you know, this was the first show that they bought in the room. And it was amazing to, to me because I tell every, I tell people all the time, a lot of people want success, but are you ready to eat tuna fish sandwiches? Are you ready to eat ramen noodles? Are you mm-hmm. ready to sleep on somebody's floor? Mm-hmm. Are you ready to call your mm-hmm. friend and say, hey, you know, do you have a connect with buddy passes? Because I have a meeting at Netflix on Monday <laughs> morning. You, know, you I, better I, tell I it. You know, so people say they want success, but are you really ready to get success? And, you know, I was always a firm believer you could chase your pension or chase your passion. And I decided mm. to chase my passion.
1: Mm. Oh, That's wow. That's good. That's good. And, and you're not alone. You're not alone in chasing your passion. You've worked with many talented artists and actors who've, who've been, uh, who's been your favorite to collaborate with and why? I know it's hard to pick, you know, one or two, but who's been your fave?
4: You know what? I have to say this. Everyone I work with brings a, a, a different type of talent from John Carlo Esposito to Forrest Whitaker to Vincent D'Onofrio. We on Godfather Harlem, you know, we're all a family. You know, it's a, it's a tribe. We have fun, you know, bringing in Professor Smalls, who is our um, African American cultural historian, letting us know the real things, the authentic things that were happening in the 60s. Uh, I could even go back as far as saying one of my good friends is Tupac Shakur, and Tupac is no longer here. Yeah. He was one of my favorite individuals to have conversations with, because we were both roadies on the road. We both were the first one off the bus, last one back on, and we just had dreams as young brown men to uh, achieve our our goals.
0: Yeah, we call our viewers soulmates, so, you know, with a lot of eyes on you right about now, what what advice would you give to aspiring producers, actors, you know, who are just getting started uh, in in their careers? I know there's not one particular formula, but what would you put out there?
4: Oh, I would say definitely learn your craft mm-hmm. and acting is more than just memorizing words. It's about angles. Whether you're looking at a 25, looking at a 50, go to Barnes and Nobles and get acting for dummies, screenwriting for dummies, producing mm-hmm. for dummies. So when you're put into that situation that you've worked for all your life, that you know how to uh, to work it and being in that room, because believe me, the wolves are out and they smell blood if you don't know what you're doing. so. Please learn your craft. Learn it, learn it, learn it, learn it.
1: Our big thanks to you for joining us. Marquand Smith, uh, the man behind the Godfather of Harlem, representing the tribe of folks uh, that are making that that show a hit. Thank you for joining us here on Foxhole's Black Report. Thank you. More when we come back. You're watching Foxhole's Black Report. The Tubman Museum honors the life and legacy of Tyler Perry with a museum exhibit. That's right. The museum will
0: uh, open the Tyler Perry exhibition featuring his work and life of the filmmaker, the actor, the playwright, the author, the songwriter, the entrepreneur, the philanthropist. <laughs> the exhibit uh, marks the first time Perry will be featured in a museum chronicling his work and life, which includes 17 feature films, 20 stage plays, seven television shows, and. And a New York Times bestseller.
1: That's right, the Tyler Perry exhibition had a private red carpet grand opening gala on Friday and opened uh, a few weeks ago, or about a week ago, the installation, Uh, will remain at the Tubman Museum through February 2025. So go check it out.
0: Let's go uh, check out this young man here, 37-year-old Jason Arday, makes history as the youngest ever black professor at the University of Cambridge, across the bridge, uh, across
1: the pond there. That's right. As a child growing up in London, Arday was diagnosed with autism uh, spectrum, and uh, he only used sign language until he was 11. He couldn't read and write until he was 18 years old. Wow. And despite all of that, our day refused to give up. He went on to receive a college degree in P.E. and uh, education studies before earning two masters, and he did not stop there, continuing his postgraduate studies while also working as a P.E. lecturer in higher education. We salute him.
0: After acquiring his Ph.D., Arday had his first paper published in 2018 and became one of the youngest professors in the entire U.K. in 2021, as he worked as a professor of sociology of education at the University of Glasgow's School of Education. Talk about defying the odds. You couldn't even read or write until he was 18. Bravo. Are Bravo. you kidding me? That's great. That is amazing. It
1: always seems impossible until it's done.
0: That's it. I love that.
1: That's right. That's right. Well. Uh, for the full rundown of these stories and more, you can access Fox Soul's video on demand on any of our partners. You can even access past shows and other Black-centered content. And don't forget to download Fox Soul's app. It's free, y'all. Thanks for joining us today for this conversation. We appreciate you. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicordelai-Corte. Until next time, Soul Bates, stay lifted. Do they lifted. still do this? Do they still do sure, this? Sure, we'll do it today. Stay <laughs> lifted. <laughs>